JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He's a friend of the show. I'm going to bring him on a little bit earlier. He had a meeting in the 4 o'clock hour. We kind of maneuvered him around a little bit. The former Big Ten Player of the Year, the nba Our good friend Brian Evans, who helps me sleep better every single night from Aurora Sleep Clinic. Brian, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, my friend. Sorry for the delay. I'm, at, I'm up just like you. You're always naming where you're at. I'm up at Monterey, downtown Carmel. Okay. Uh, the windows are open. I've got a uh, Manhattan sitting in front of me. Life's pretty good. I'm talking to a good buddy of mine. I'm having a good time and, and carved out time for your amazing show. Thank you very much. What is Monterey? I've not been there. Monterey, you got to make your way up here. It's, um, <laughs> what do we call this? What kind of cuisine we got here? It's sushi for the most part, sushi, fish. Um, I like it. But it took over the spot. It's right on the Monon. It took over that uh, Scotty's that shut down years ago. Ah, I got you. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Are you a sushi guy? Eh, You know what? I lived in Japan for two years and and wouldn't touch it. Now I I eat it in Indiana. I'm I'm not the smartest guy that's ever been on your show. I promise you that. I can't make a joke. If it stinks, I'll eat it because I like tuna a great deal. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big tuna. So I'm assuming if I like tuna. Tuna out of the can, like the cat, I would probably I like sushi. Right? Oh, you know, I grew up on chicken of the sea. Yes, me too. You did you did you put yours in mac and cheese like I did? No, straight mayo. I got you. I understand. Hey, I was thinking about you the other day uh, when a lot is being made about NIL. As a former player, a former high-level player, uh, how are you viewing this right now? Because to me, it is a level or maybe even more important, right, the NIL, than even recruiting out of high school any longer for these teams. You know, I'm still trying to you know wrap my arms around it, to be honest with you. I don't know. I, I mean, when I hear some of the numbers being slung around um, – I get it, right? People love these programs, and they want to see their programs win. So the the boosters with the money are are willing to give some to these guys that are, you know, uh, men and women that are playing hoop or playing football. Um, You know, I I can't say. I'm so far gone that I don't feel any jealousy at all. But I've I've wondered a few times that my mind's drifted. I'm wondering, man, I could have bought a lot of kegs and thrown a lot of good parties (laughs) at at Woodbridge in Bloomington if there was some NIL back in the day. Right. Right. Uh, do you do you admire the NIL stage for these players? I mean, you say you're not jealous of it. That's cool. Right. But, I mean, yeah, you think about what you could have had, especially with the level of success you had compared to what many are getting paid that don't nearly hit that level. Well, they're doing a lot better than I am right now, which that hurts, you know. that that The reality of that hurts yeah. me a little bit, i got to be honest. I, 
I haven't gone as far as I think I'd have been going door to door. I, I would have I would have been easy, man. I'd have been I'd have been knocking on doors around Bloomington trying to uh, cut some NIL deals. And it would have really been for uh, it, it's not beer money that these guys are making. It, no. It's a lot more than that. It is a lot more than that. So the landscape has changed so so much that, um, and I'm sure I don't really understand the, the rules of it. I haven't dug in. There's no reason for me to dig in and really understand it. Um, but hey, it's an opportunistic time for these athletes. I, I, I did think it was ridiculous, like for uh, somebody like me who my, my folks couldn't afford to travel to NCAA games and, and see us in, in those really neat settings on the road, you know, not once in a lifetime, but call it four times in a lifetime uh, opportunities that and my folks couldn't, couldn't make those trips because they couldn't afford to do it. And, and, and that's a thing of the past. I think that's a shame. And so the NCAA, I think several years ago started, you know, setting aside money um, uh, for parents and, and family of, of guys to travel and see games and then, in, in short order, it turned into this, which is it's kind of like the Wild West. It is, no doubt. And then you factor in the transfer portal. Would you have ever gone in the transfer portal had it been as available and as easy to do as it is today? Well, I, I can tell you there's twice I would have gone into the portal. After we lost to Butler in the season opener in Indianapolis, I would have gone, <laughs> I would have gotten in the transfer portal before getting on that bus to go back to Bloomington. And then when we lost by 50 in Minnesota – my sophomore year, I would have gone into the portal instead of getting on that airplane. But other than that, I would have stayed. Yeah. I, you, you look, to me, you're somebody of that era, especially, that would stick it out, regardless. No, you're going to stick I'm it out. Not, no, no. I, I loved where I was at. That was my dream. You know, my dream came true to be playing there for him in front of those, in, in front of our fan base. That was, that was my lifelong dream. So when, when times got tough, which they did all the time, um, I never had those feelings. I, 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 I wouldn't have traded that in a million years. I, I always knew that coach could waterboard me or put me through a lot of stuff. But when the, when the, you know, the next game, two days later, the lights are going to be bright. You know, I knew I'd be at center circle at the tip off and he, you know, uh, it was never that bad, man. I, it was always, I always pinched myself going, look where I'm at. And it was fantastic. So Brian Evans, former Hoosier on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, all right, now that it's in the books and now the the Trace is done with school after four years, how do you view what he accomplished individually, production wise, in four years at IU with those all time? Big time tip my cap, you know, and and just appreciative of his his efforts. Um, you know, I, I was probably critical of him at times. You know, wanted to be a little bit tougher, meaner, you know, whatever it was. You know, there was probably times I thought he was a little bit soft. But the dude went on a run his last year uh, to make old guys like me pretty proud. He 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 did. You cannot take that senior season away from that kid. He he had just a remarkable year, statistically just off the charts, right? I mean, just off the charts. I think people – I think we got to give it a few years, and you know, before we can really – put him in his place you know where does he fit he didn't 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 win an awful lot you know and I, so I think there's a lot of diehard fans that just have have a problem with that and they're never gonna he may never eclipse some of those iconic names that won titles right um, but statistically unbelievable um, I like him I think he represented the name on that the, the front of the jersey about as well as you can so I'm a fan 
I'm I'm rooting for him to have a great you know um, post college career wherever that takes him. I think he'd be a hell of a tight end in the NFL. I've been saying that for years. Uh, with his his base, he's got these big old strong quads, kind of long torso, can jump, can catch. I, you know, you, if Tony Gonzalez was all world, what would Trace Jackson Davis? <laughs> I really think he could play football. I, I can't believe that people don't talk about that more because I think he could be great tomorrow. I've never actually uh, talked about it in my life. You, this is something that obviously you truly believe in. You've thought about. Oh yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm certain he could if he wanted to. Um, no, I, I, I like the kid. I think he had a, a, a great run. It's just unfortunate that you know he wasn't on any really good teams. You know, and that's not his fault. I think he grew into a, uh, to be a better leader than I expected him to be, and certainly as a senior, did everything he could do to help the team. And and so I, you know he's he's carved out a little special special place for me. He's one of my favorite players I've seen. So Brian Evans with us too. I to me it stands out. He took he took the criticism and the negatives and flipped them over and dealt with them and did something about them. And that's I think what impresses me more than anything else about his career. Yeah, you know, I, I cannot believe that. And I think the Big Ten has kind of shown itself to maybe be a lot more down than we ever wanted it to, to believe it is, you know. And when you look at the tournament, I, I was not impressed with the Big Ten throughout the course of the season. And I I, I, I got to say this, and this now it's going to take away from what I just said about him. But I can't believe that a guy that everybody knows can't shoot outside the, you know, the, the, the lane and and not even not even that it's it's really more or less the charge line you know the three foot line he got to the rim 18 times a game I, and and i was every game i'm marveling at how this guy's getting to the rim with his left hand and then i watched the big 10 in the tournament i was like well maybe the big the big 10's not what i thought it was it used to be such a a great league a defensively sound league and great scouting great coaches that are you know prepared for their opponent. Yeah. And so I, I got to the point where I'm like, Trace is remarkable. How is he getting to the rim that many times a game? Um, and you can't take that away from him. He did it. And, and again, had a remarkable year, but I, I do think the big 10 is, is about as down as I've ever seen. So Brian Evans on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline before I let you go overall where they are right now. And obviously there's a great deal of unknown because the transfer portal has been hit by Mike Woodson and company. What do you think about the job that has been done moving forward by Mike Woodson? Uh, the job, Moving forward, or the job uh, the so job far, and then moving forward, the feeling uh, to date. Uh, you know, I gotta say, let's take let's take what's going on in the portal right now because I don't I don't know these players, and I don't you know I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm not doing any research on the Ball State guy or the Oregon guy. I'm not doing that stuff. I gotta say that um, to to have the recruits coming in, so recruits like high school recruits coming in. And the guys leaving and the production of the guys leaving at the same – when you put those together, I had higher expectations for where we'd be going into year three. I think we're – you know, I think he's got to kill it in the portal yeah, um, to try to replenish, you know, what, what's walking out the door. And I, I got to think that as uh, big Indiana fans, which I've been my whole life, um, I, I had higher expectations for year three. 
that doesn't mean we can't be good. I, I mean, I think he's got to kill it in the portal and put these pieces together. But when you look at the, you know, the, two, you know, three or four star recruits coming in, and the scoring and the contributions that are leaving, it's a little scary. Yeah, uh, th- th- we talked about that a little bit early, actually, at the start of the show. I, I mean, you look at a guy. Everybody's excited about this Ware kid, the seven footer, who's you know coming off a freshman season, a former McDonald's All American, coming in, but thirteen minutes and a little over six points per game, and you have to replenish not just what Trace did offensively. Uh, defensively too, but you know Jalen Hood Shafino, what what he accomplished as a freshman there, um, you got to replenish all that, and that's going to be a heller difficult, no question. Yeah, I mean, I I think as a, an Indiana fan, you got to say, well, every year we should take a big leap forward, and I think uh, seeing a leap from where we just left off, which was a letdown season, let's be honest, we're the Big Ten favorite, preseason uh, favorite to win the title, we didn't do it. Um, and then you see all that leave. You're, this kid, I don't. Again, I haven't seen a second of tape. I don't know anything about him, but he's a McDonald's All American playing 12 minutes a game. That's not a good thing, right? Right. And on, a, on an Oregon team that, at least on my radar, wasn't any good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it seems like the fans, the fans seem that. okay with them. Le- everybody seems okay with them leaving. Not like anybody was crying a river when he left. So, right. yeah, I mean, right. you, you talk about things that that Trace proved here. I, I mean, I, beyond being excited because you know somebody out of the transfer portal came here, came to Bloomington. I mean, you're going to have to prove a lot there, and and you're going to have to prove it through production. And there's no way around it because it's just needed. And if you don't get it, you're going to have a good team in Bloomington next year. Well, it's going to make him some NIL. I mean, back to your our first, yeah. you know, topic. I mean, it's going to make him an NIL NIL winner. Um, man, I, but what do we want? We want producers, right? You know, we want people that are going to produce, not consume. You know, consume the, the NIL money. We want producers, and I'm, you know, I'm holding my breath on on you know this fall. To be real honest with you, and it, I mean, I've been a fan my whole life. I'm. I'm going to root like crazy, but I'm concerned. Right there with you. Yeah, it should listen. You should be until you see it. And that's that's part of where we are with the transfer portal with a team like IU because you have a serious facelift you have to make, and there's just not there's not any evidence that it can be done. There's just a great deal of hope. And then we'll we'll see, certainly starting in November. Aurora Specialty Sleep Clinic gets me a good night's sleep every single night. Ask uh, Brian, ask Dr. Steve Green about it, too. They'll get you a good bed rest if you struggle with snoring. I appreciate you, brother, as always. You know that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He has been a staple on the Cincinnati sports scene forever. 84 grad, Carmel High School. 88 grad, Butler. Close personal friend of Chris Denary. Sports talk 700 WLW. It is extra innings, bingo shows, all that crap. It is Lance McAllister joins us now. Hello, Lance. How are you? 
I am well. It has been way too long. I'm glad we are finally hooking up again. I am too. I was inspired by you last uh, night and uh, <laughs> your scroll of tweets. It's it was almost like it, it brought me back to Peter Finch and Network. It was almost like uh, you've had enough at that moment. Kind of had enough with what was going on. That's the way it seemed. Yeah, it's, it's just it's reached a it's just reached a point where I, I think everybody here understands the Reds are rebuilding. Uh, not everybody wants to accept that, but I think they understand right. they are rebuilding, and there's going to be pain. There's um, there, there's no easy way through a rebuild. It, it, it takes a lot of pain and, and effort to get through to the other side. What what infuriates me is if this. If this Reds organization is only going to spend $75, $80 million, whatever minuscule number it is from the last couple of years, to to pay as little attention as they have to the bullpen and to lead this organization in the position they are, when, when wins are few and far between for a team and you've got a young team and you've got a young starting rotation, you have to secure as many opportunities as you're presented. And this bullpen has punted all five losses this year. And it just it, it sucks the soul out of this team and out of this fan base and it comes down to simply the the cheapest thing you can fix on a baseball team is the bullpen and and i know it's a very volatile uh volatile volatile area to fix it's hit or miss from year to year but they just they've they've just punted on it for three straight years and it's been the worst bullpen in baseball for three years and it just drives me insane it's so Lance McAllister there, extra innings, 700 WLW, and so much more in Cincinnati. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What really stood out to me last night and what intrigued me about certainly wanting to get you back here in, in India and having you on the show was talking about how this group uh, of great unknowns, for the most part here, they were grinding and doing their jobs, and they were getting it done only to be let down in these games that you're talking about. And then specifically last night, a late-inning affair in Atlanta, they're doing all that they can, and then they get let down by something, as you mentioned, could be easily dealt with that the Reds clearly don't feel like doing. Yeah, and if if it's about rebuilding and if it's about creating a winning culture and changing the mindset, and, and they clearly jettisoned a, a lot of – uh, veterans last year at the trade deadline, five guys. This is a very much younger team than a year ago, and and you've got willing leaders like Jonathan India and, and Tyler Stevenson. You've got young guys like Spencer Steer, and and there's a a crop coming through the pipeline that'll eventually be here, but. I, I just don't understand the message from ownership of the organization if it's about changing the culture and creating a winning culture. Well, how does that start when you when you just turn your back on your bullpen? And, and again, you you know this: a bullpen's not going to cost you a gazillion dollars. It, it, it'll cost you a couple of million. They spent seven and a half million on Will Myers, and they're going to trade him at the trade deadline. They did nothing. They, they have three pitchers who pitched an independent ball in this team's bullpen. It's just irresponsible. It's it's organ. I, I, I refer to this a lot with this organization because they've earned it. It's organizational malpractice, and that's not the general manager who I think has a decent idea of what he's doing. It starts with the ownership of this team, and they don't know what they're doing. And they got out of the way for Nick Crawl at the trade deadline last year for the first time and finally did a legitimate start to a rebuild where ownership didn't, you know, use their, their emotions to it and, and fear the optics of it and said, okay, 
do it. Tear it down. Trade your assets for maximum value. And they did. And they jumped their, their minor league system from number 20 last year to number five this year. And their system just oozes young talent that's about to arrive on the scene. But for the moment, everything else like last night, pardon the expression, it's just a kick in the balls to this team. And I don't know how you look your players in the face when you when you allow that to happen time in and time out. Because I can tell you, having sat in that seat hosting that show for the last decade, I've done that song and dance so many times over the last three years, I just want to throw up. <laughs> we, we, we're, we're accustomed to taking nut shots around here, Lance. So <laughs> right. we, we know the nut shots that you speak of right there. Lance McCallum joins us uh, all in the lap of ownership here uh, and, and where where obviously it's a rebuild where do you think it's going and how long will it take in your estimation lands for it to get there well they at least they have the, the pieces now there's a significant gap between having the minor league pieces and developing those pieces and getting them to the major league level la de la cruz has all the makings of a star he just i mean you look at the guy and you say oh my goodness that that looks like a star now he's dealing with a hamstring right now which is kind of the, the way things go with the reds um when something can go wrong at will but he should be uh soon for a debut at triple a louisville um Christian Encarnacion Strand, Andrew Abbott, a pitcher. There's just a long list of guys. But the way this rebuild started, the Reds have three young gun starting pitchers with Hunter Green and Nicola Dolo and Graham Ashcraft. But they're, they, it's kind of an odd matchup because it doesn't match with their position players who are further away. They, they hauled in 10, 11 guys at the trade deadline last year as prospects. Only one of them made it to the big leagues by September. The rest of them are further down in the pipeline, high A, double A, uh, just getting into triple A. So I, I think it's a fair concern to think, well, by, by the time, you know, Hunter Green and Lodolo and Ashcraft are really ready to go, um, they're going to be they're going to be approaching the back end of their arbitration into free agency before the other guys are ready to arrive and and, and do the stars and, and planets align at that time like like it should. It's it's a little off right now. So I, I think it's a legitimate concern of if everybody's going to be good together or, or not. What, what do the fans think about what's going on there? I have um, I've grown up in this town. I've been back for 25 years. I have never felt the the sense of a disconnect that there is right now. There is there is not just an anger from a significant portion of the fan base. There is a real sense they don't they they want ownership to be embarrassed. They don't want them to just lose money. They want them to be embarrassed. And it's a it, it's a mean, angry, I'm never going to give them a dime again type of feeling from a large chunk of the fan base, which, again, I, I've never felt before. And that started opening day last year when uh, when the owner's son dropped the, the line that will live in infamy of where are you going to go? If, if you're not going to watch our team, where are you going to go? And um, this town's got a long memory. They, there's a there's a chunk of this fan base that will never forgive the the, the strike of '94 that wiped out the season. And my, I mean, good, that was almost 30 years ago. Um, hey, there's some old people like me out there that won't forget what '81. I'm still yeah, mad about that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. So you know, and I I have to ask often. You know, what will it take to repair the relationship? And the easiest answer is winning cures all. Yeah. But. Um, I, I I don't know. It's going to be a ways to get to the winning, and 
I, there, there's a, uh, there's other things happening in this town. FC Cincinnati's taking the city by storm. The, the MLS soccer team, which has the best record in all of MLS after kind of fumbling their way through the first three years of, of moving into the, the highest level. But the, the Bengals and Joe Burrow are, are, are red hot. Uh, hell, there's a minor league hockey team, the Cincinnati Cyclones, who are in first place. And just, you, you know how it is with, with yeah. discretionary money and parents and kids and soccer's big. And I got a lot of people who tell me, you know what, I take my kids to CFC Cincinnati. And I, I think that scares the Reds to death. Yeah, Lance, it should be so easy in Cincinnati with baseball. Why isn't it? It really should because it's at the core of the fabric. It's in the yes. DNA of this town. My goodness, it's it's the home of where baseball begins. The first professional team is the home of the Big Red Machine. It's the home of Rose Bench, Morgan Perez, uh, the 90s wire-to-wire, Eric Davis, uh, Barry Larkin, Paul O'Neill, all those guys. But, man, when you're talking, you know, and I, I have to catch myself because I, I'm 57, and I'm, I'm a product of the Big Red Machine. I was 9 and 10 years old in 75 and 76. So that's my anchor as a Reds fan. Every can tie back to a solid anchor of no matter what has happened in my lifetime i've seen the 75 76 and 90 reds win a world series yet there's not a whole lot of people who can say that the the people who are 20 25 26 27 i'm sorry they don't give a damn about that they roll their eyes at that now because what they have is the heartbreak of disappointment of 2012 when the reds won the first two in san francisco and came home and got swept by the giants and there's just there's nothing to attach to it as the anchor for their team other than frustration so it's really changed the whole dynamic of the evolution of reds fans in this city are there similarities Lance McAllister of 700 wlw in cincinnati's on the andy moore automotive group hotline are there similarities to what uh, long term the frustration the fan base had with as you mentioned now they're red hot but once upon a time it was not wet that way with the Bengals nfl wise in that town are there similarities Oh, there absolutely are. And it's funny because I mentioned it the other night. If you go back to December 31st, 2018, the day the Bengals and Marvin Lewis parted ways after 16 years, uh, Mike Brown was quoted that day as saying, we had lost the, we had, our fans had lost faith in the organization. And since then, now they, they made the change, went out and got Zach Taylor. But obviously the, the big, um, the, the big piece of all that was Joe Burrow and everything then fell into place. Um, but at that time, prior to those wheels beginning to turn, there were people in with bags over their heads. There were people not going to the stadium. There were people calling me every, every topic I did about the Bengals during that period. And heck, even back into the nineties, the lost decade of the Bengals, every answer to every question about the organization, no matter how creative my topic might be to engage people was, does Mike Brown still own the team? And the answer was always yes. So they didn't care. They went on to find other things, but to the ultimate point of winning cures all, Joe Burrow can do no wrong. He walks on water this ta- in this town, and the Bengals can do no wrong. And the way the NFL is and the bigger picture of all this, the 365 news cycle, it is Bengals, 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 and more Bengals around here. He is Lance McAllister joining us. How do you think the offseason went for the Bengals? They, um, you know, they, they, the offensive line was the biggest issue. They got Orlando Brown. I, I'm, a lo- I, I'm less um, – I'm less enthused by it than than many. I, I don't think it was a bad signing. They went out and addressed uh, what a big issue on the offensive line. He just came out of nowhere, and he's now with his third team. And I just when things happen like that, and you've been multiple places, and then suddenly you just kind of drop into the lap of the Bengals. I always say, you know, 
why did it happen? It just seemed too easy. What do other teams know that the Bengals don't know? And yet, if you've got Joe Burrow and you've got Jamar Chase and you've got Zach Taylor and the talent pool on this team, there's uh, there's not many weaknesses on this team. And if you can give Joe just a, you know maybe a half more Mississippi when he drops back to pass, one Mississippi, two I mean, he is going to carve you up. And um, my goodness, the, the guy is just so damn special and gets it more than anybody I've ever seen in, the, in this city on the field and off the field. Um, he he does magic, and and they've got enough pieces around him to to keep doing more magic this year. He is Lance McAllister of seven hundred WLW in Cincinnati. I'm just assuming because of your proximity to Lexington, you may have some knowledge. But obviously, uh, the Colts are in the market to draft a quarterback, and I have said this from October. Is I'd heard that they liked Will Levis then, and and honestly, them staying at four and not really showing any interest whatsoever, Lance, and moving up number one overall and nothing yet as far as just getting up number one or I should say one step to number three here it kind of seems like that maybe what I had heard then is true regarding Levis from what you understand I'm assuming again on the fringe of you know Kentucky football there in Cincinnati what do you think about Levis you know um it's a uh, it's a hit and miss with him. There are moments where he'll have a game where you say, holy cow, that guy might be the first pick in the draft. And then you see other games where I don't want to say he's awful, but there's just enough moments where you say, now I'm going to have to rethink that. And so it's there's somewhere in between first pick in the draft, and I need to rethink that a little bit. Um, there, there's no question he blossomed. He became a better quarterback at Kentucky in the SEC. You know, that hell of a conference, obviously. But, I mean, back-to-back seasons, I think he had 13 interceptions. He had 10 interceptions. There were some decision-making things at times. Um, Kentucky went from 10 wins, I think, two years ago to seven wins this year, and it wasn't quite the season. And he he didn't exactly have quite the season. His numbers were were off a little bit. So I'm I'm, I'm a little tepid would be the word. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying he's great. But – uh, he's just one of those guys. I, I, I think I'd sum it up this way: you just need to look at him for a lot longer than than maybe you'd initially think. Does that does that make sense? Because you start looking at him, you say, "Well, now," and then you say, "Well, I'm going to look at a little longer," and then you say, "Well, look at that throw, or look at that decision." Yeah. So it's, I, I, I just, you you I, can almost say the same about all these guys I've been yeah, talking about. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. from from absolutely. Stroud to Young to to Richardson. I like Stroud, Lance, and I, I've let this be known. I like Stroud basically for one game, that national semifinal against Georgia. And I know Georgia's defense wasn't was this year what it was the year prior, but still what he did, it was almost like if that was his, his true self, to me, that was the guy. But evidently, the Colts didn't feel that way because they didn't have much interest in in climbing up and doing anything with that. What do you think about Stroud at the next level coming at Ohio State? Is he beyond legit? You know, as you were as you were mentioning his name, I, there's a play from that game that is all that will be burned in my head. And he rolled out to the right, and he kind of directed his receiver to the back corner of the end zone and threw on the run and threw in a tight window. And it it, it was the throw that caused like, oh my God, he just made that yeah. throw with that athleticism right. and that arm into that window, and yet. 
I'll be honest. There, there is a there, there's the backdrop of Ohio State quarterbacks that just it just causes me pause. And there there is such a system there that I don't want to say props you up as a quarterback, but it, it's such a damn good system. It causes you to think. How much of it is the individual ability going to be able to carry him versus how much did the system, you know, you know, help him there? Um, he's really good, but it's just one of those systems where I just get real. Uh, my, I, I, I kind of shiver sometimes <laughs> when I think about Ohio State quarterback. If that makes any sense, well, that's okay too because now you're comfortable with what you have in, in Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals once again. How about just on the fringe of things in Baltimore and kind of laughing at what that red ass Eric DaCosta oh. and company are doing with Lamar Jackson there? That's got to make you smile a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I I got the biggest kick. One of the I forget which national outlet yesterday. One the, the whole national narrative about Lamar Jackson and the number of national media people carrying water for Lamar Jackson to get him his worth, whatever his worth is. I just get the biggest kick out of. But I guess one of them yesterday was. Well, he's led to believe that Bengals fans are now scared because Odell Beckham Jr. is going to Baltimore. Please, give me a break. Odell Beckham Jr. will be hurt at some point during that season. Lamar Jackson might not even be the quarterback. And if you're asking me if I like this Bengals team over that Ravens team, I will take them every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah, it still seems like that it's all Bengals all the time in that division. I mean, just looking at it right now, and yeah, we'll see what happens in the draft and all that. Around here, though, it's funny. You look at this quarterback, and, and you know that they have to do it right now, but there's not anybody out there that you're sold on for the present or, or maybe transitions into what you're going to need, Lance, in the AFC when you look around. I mean, obviously with Burrow in the Queen City, as you guys have, but you look around at that landscape, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. No, it's not. And, and every time you, you talk about windows of opportunities and you think, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still in that window and, and uh, Justin Herbert is in that window. And there's a lot of young guns that, it, who are, are going to grow with Joe Burrow in, in, in that conference. Um, and, you know, back to your point on, on, on the Colts, I just when when you're ultimately choosing from that group, you know, quarterback in the knee gets so elevated. You hate to be in a draft where you're taking the whatever the, the third or fourth best quarterback because are they truly, really the third or fourth? I mean, are they that good, or is it just the urgency and the need that yes. shoves everything up to the top and makes you, you know, your 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 expectations and their abilities aren't really that, but they become that because it's that season. It just I don't know. It's a, it's a weird draft for court. I just wouldn't want to be having to pick the, the, the even the second, third, or fourth quarterback because I'm not even sure who the first quarterback is sometimes. Yeah, well, that and, and then, you know, the philosophy is all the time one of the first things you hear from executives in the NFL after a draft, we took the best player available. Yeah. You think Levis is the best player available at number four or is he the what, what you need at number four? Exactly. Right exactly there, so. right. Yep, that's kind of where we are around here. All right, well, I was inspired by all your tweets last night regarding the Reds because I, I honestly I was sitting there and I actually turned it because I thought, well, here comes the bullpen. I thought that they would lose in the bottom of the ninth, and I was surprised when they went ahead, but then was not surprised when they end up losing because you know what's coming with that bullpen in late game situations. You just do. Yep. It's been coming for three years since they gave away Rysel Iglesias and gave away Archie Bradley after uh, after 2020, and they haven't addressed it since. Mm-mm-mm. Hey, by the way, is uh, Frisch's big boy still in the stadium? Yes. Oh, yes. 
Uh, some people told me that it, I shouldn't say people. I saw. Well, where, wait a minute. You know what? Actually, let me take that back because I was at the. I should know because I ate the food at the media gathering. You, you love this. They, they invite the media every year to sample their food. Right. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to think. Did I eat Frisch's? Because yeah. they've added some food. Um, They've added um, Chick Fil A this year. I know. Yeah. See, that that was the thing. I I I think it was Mark Sheldon that had a tweet before the start of the season that Chick Fil A went in and Frisch's went out. Maybe that's it. Maybe because you know all the food runs together. Because I just I just ate as much as I could. Um, Is is, is Frisch's (laughs) as good as I make it out to be, or is it just because it is not easily attainable for me around here? Is that why? Uh, yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's a staple in the city from uh, whether it be your uh, Skyline, your La Rosa's, your Grater's Ice Cream. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm, you guys no, have a I'm lot of staples. So I should know this. I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's not because they've added – geez, everybody got excited. They added Skyline Chili Nachos this year. They've added some 50 West Burgers, which is a brewery in town. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Huh. I'll have to investigate for you. Now. I just I, I wondered. I was asking folks that were going over there. How, how many folks are they getting on a nightly basis? I guess you only have what two series yeah. to go on so far, so not a lot of proof. Yeah, because the opener was a sellout. The opener was actually the largest regular season crowd in uh, in franchise history. It'll be interesting this weekend because they open up a a seven game homestand. They've got the Phillies and then they've got the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, coming to town. Weather's going to be mostly good, so I think this will be a very telling uh, upcoming seven-game homestand. Are you a big Nick Crawl fan? I am, as long as um, as long as the owner stays out of his way and and lets his do lets him do his thing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Jim Bowden was on our station a couple of weeks ago, and and Jim mentioned his last two hirings before he was fired uh, a couple of decades ago, he hired two interns to the organization, and both of them are general managers now. One's the general manager of the Reds, and one's the general manager of the Brewers. And uh, he has always spoken very highly of, of Nick Crawl. And, and I think Nick Crawl's not the most um, PR, I don't want to say PR savvy, but um, he, he, you don't exactly want to run him out in front of the cameras to explain things. He's not nearly uh, as articulate as Dick Williams was in explaining what was going on. Um, but I, I think he's a good baseball guy as long as the owner's not meddling. Because, And a quick final thought on, on ownership. Going yep. back to 2015, when they last tried to rebuild, ownership was afraid of the optics of doing a rebuild and a fire sale because they were hosting the All-Star game that year. I mean, for goodness sakes, if you're going to be a legitimate baseball team, what the hell do you care, to care about the optics of the, of the All-Star game and how the rest of the country viewing the All-Star game is going to view your team because you're rebuilding? It's what they had to do. So... They dragged their feet. They waited, and instead of getting you know top value for all those guys they traded, they got about twenty five cents on the on the dollar, uh. and the rebuild sputtered because it it went too long. This time around, they started it the right way. They just got to get through it the right way. Lance, these guys can be fun to watch yep. until you get to the bullpen, and then it's not. So no, no yeah. question. Back to back days. They rallied in the ninth inning yeah. to uh, to win a game and tie a game. Is just you know they have five losses and the bullpen has all five losses. It's just debilitating. Shout out to the class of 1984 at Carmel High School. Go great. Are, are you at the top of the list of most noted to graduate in '84 at Carmel High School? So oh, I don't know that I'm noted. I, I don't know. You'd have to ask who, who else was in that class. <laughs> um. Oh. 
I don't know. I'm trying to think uh, sports-wise. 84 was a good uh, year. I, I was I was in eighth grade, but I remember it as a great year. 84 was a good 84, year. We, I don't know. We I lose track. We may have won eight or nine state championships in sports <laughs> that year. Uh, in fact, we got so good at winning. And now, this is going to rub some people the wrong way. We got yeah. we got uh, into the habit of winning so many state championships. <laughs> it used to be you got a half day of school. They'd have a pep rally and send you home. And finally, I said, no, no, no. We, we can't do that anymore because you, you guys are winning like eight, nine, ten state championships a year. Yeah, I figured you would be on the swim team because you're uh, assured to win a championship <laughs> when you're on the swim team. I can remember when I was a freshman being asked, hey, do you want to wrestle like 96 pounds? Because you'll win most of your matches by, by default because nobody – I said, no, I'm not going to wrestle. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, man, always enjoy having you on here. We'll do it again very soon, Lance. Thank you very much for the time. I look forward to it. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he does everything around here. He is Greg Rakestraw. I'm curious about this. I, I've just, you know me being old school guy. But I love basketball, so I'm kind of kicking and screaming a little bit on this. Will they ultimately stick or try to stick some guardrails on Transfer Portal and NIL? Or is this just the long-term future of collegiate basketball that we're witnessing right now? There is a reason why there has almost been a look towards Congress with the phrase, hey, help us out here. Uh, Because the NCAA went from so far behind the curve on this stuff to completely being hands off on it. And now it is completely the wild, wild west where I'm not sure that the NCAA can reel this back in. And I'm not sure for whatever people in college athletics think how good, bad this is and different that it raises to the attention of Congress should get involved here. So barring an outside organization coming in, I think we have officially hit. It is what it is category. Yeah, I would agree, too. I, I don't know. I mean, is this is something where the, if, if you're the NCAA, do you hate what's going on, but you just move forward because there's not really a damn thing you can do about it anymore? I tend to think that. Now, here, yeah. here is how I would, I would do it if I were the NCAA, which means they won't do it this way. Um, I would almost say Division One athletics, it is the Wild West. It is the all-drug Olympics. It is do what you want. Division two is you're allowed to give scholarships, but you're not allowed to cash in NIL deals. That's the trade-off. You have the choice as an athlete, whether you're going to the Division one level and it's, it's, it's all pay for play, or the Division two level where it's been more of the traditional college model and leave Division three as it is, where it has not been a, you know, a, a scholarship-driven model. That's, that would tend to be how I would handle it. And then I would also allow schools to reclassify almost immediately based on this. You know, you've had this four-year wait for, for Bellarmine and for USI and before that for Fort Wayne and Northern Kentucky and for IUPUI. And everybody that's made that move over the last 25, 30 years from Division II or Division III to NAIA to the Division I level, you have gone through that transitional process. I would almost say, you want to be Division Two. If you're Division One, fine. You want to be Division One or Division Two? Great. You, you, this is your free pass to jump now. But this is the space you're playing in. You're allowed to pay name, image, and likeness, and have these 
scholarship consortiums, and basically it's it's to the highest bidder. If you want to have a scholarship model, but you don't cash in, that's what Division Two is for, and Division Three stays as it is. But again, that's way too simple, which is why it would never work. It's like Greg Graystraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is there ever going to be a point to where there is much more value in how you utilize the transfer portal than how you end up recruiting kids out of high school? We've hit that point already, haven't we? I don't know. I, I would still like. I would still like to think that there's still more value in high school recruitment. But you suggest not. I'll go with you if that's um, what you say. I I, th- I think there are some schools that basically said we are done recruiting high school athletes. I, I want to say it was Texas State in football, and they're not exact. And, and that's not the Fighting Armadillos, by the way. This is the sure. old Southwest Texas right. State. I get you. The Bobcats, I think, is their name in San Angelo, Texas. But I want to say they did not recruit a single kid out of high school for their football team last year. This, this was going into the fall, so this would have been like spring of 2022. They did all transfer portal and JUCO. And you will have some schools that will do that, especially in basketball. When you are giving out three, four, five, six scholarships a year, a potential 13 at the Division One level, where you're like, you know what, we're just going to dial a, dial a transfer. So I think what you'll see in a lot of schools will be they will go after one or two kids every year, but they will always try to have one or two scholarships in hand and also knowing that you're going to get one or two back some kids that are leaving at the end of every season. And that way you've got scholarships at the ready to dial a transfer and hit somebody up in the portal and go about it that way. But I, I think especially, you know, football's a bit different where you're handing out 25 to 30 scholarships a year. You know, you're going to want to mix there. But in the sports where you're handing out three, four, five scholarships, don't be surprised if somebody says, you know what, forget recruiting 17 and 18-year-olds. I'm going to focus on 21, 22, and 23-year-olds. I want to bring those kids that have proven themselves at this level. Those are the ones I want in my program. It'll be interesting to see, even more so in the next five years, how many of these these coaches that – you know, you know, I know a lot of people put that on Jay Wright, why he went to TV, why he left Villanova. Uh, how many more coaches decide, you know what, enough is enough on this. I'm going to find somewhere else to coach, something else to do, whether it's TV or whatever, and have you know this new generation come in here and take a hold of, of what's going on and what will continue to escalate in the long-term future. There will be some people that will adapt and be just fine, and there will be others that – because the power is no longer so much in their hands that won't be able to adapt and will go do something else and will bitch up a storm on their way out the door. We've already seen that to, to some degree. So I, I think it's going to become a younger person's game, period. Although I would actually argue that for those that love to coach but don't love the recruiting process, honestly, this simplifies it. And this frankly means less time spent on the road and less time spent at AEU events and high school gymnasiums and things like that, you can usually get the portal to do the work for you if you wanted to, but there will be some that won't figure that out and won't adapt to that, and eventually we'll, we'll get out of the business and do something else completely. Yeah, it's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I just brought this up in terms of, you know, you get the wear kid coming from Oregon and, you know, and IU fans go go crazy about it, but 
I mean, there is still such a wide gap between what he offered as a freshman in Eugene, Oregon, and wasn't much. Six points a game, thir- or I should say six points a game, 13 minutes a game, and then bailing after one season as a former McDonald's All-American compared to what Trace Jackson Davis and, you know, for that matter, Jalen Hood Shafino will leave behind with that productivity gap. It's tough, and I mean, you're going to have to go high volume here, which clearly Mike Woodson and company have been doing this offseason so far. Correct, and, and again, it is. I understand that as, as a fan, you want to get excited when you land a player that has a McDonald's All-American pedigree and comes from a power conference. I respect that. I also understand your side of it, and I tend to be of that way as well. Hey, that's great. Remember what you do when you get on the court. Um I have thought it is easier for Indiana to replace players like Jackson Davis and Hood Shafino because of the transfer portal. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy to to replace those guys. And to me, now the question is, you know, can you can you go out and find what I would say is a like for like transfer? And that doesn't mean you're going to find a guy just like Trace Jackson Davis. If you find a guy like him, you know what? That guy's probably going to the NBA. What I want to see you do is find a proven commodity from another Power 5 school where, frankly, you're giving more money than, say, that school did. That school, you're not playing in front of 17,000 rabid fans the way that you do every game that you are in Bloomington. To me, that's really what I'm curious to see is can you go out and find that guy in the portal? Uh, You'll have a lot of places that will – you know, pick up the guy from Central Arkansas or Eastern Illinois or insert directional school here. I kind of want to see now some guys that have been kind of more proven commodities at a higher level. Maybe those guys are less apt to move, but I would think that Indiana, both financially as well as from an experience standpoint, and the NBA knowledge of Mike Woodson would have something to offer to get that level of player to make the jump to come to Bloomington. So Greg Rakestraw with us. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it because you do cover both. Uh, is this a really good opportunity for collegiate women's basketball as we saw, especially this past year? Now, we were in kind of the epicenter of interest, certainly yeah. with what IU was accomplishing down in Bloomington. But you, know, you look at the numbers of the national championship game almost a couple of weeks ago on Sunday with what is going on and kind of kicking and screaming with some basketball fans on the men's side. Is this a really good time for the women's time, a uh, really good time for the women's game to really kind of be seen, be heard, and grow? If I worked in college marketing, if I worked like in in an on-campus marketing and athletic program, after the women's Final Four and all of the interest, good and bad, I would almost, I I would have like flooded the market and flooded my fan base about buying them basketball season tickets. Basically to say, hey, (laughs) The things that you like and some of the things that you don't in the men's game happen down the women's game, too. Come give our ladies a shot to kind of entertain you and, and see that, that, that their game is growing. I would have struck while the iron is hot. We have such short attention spans. That happened, what, 10 days ago? I'm not sure you're going to be able to captivate people's attention. But I do think that what you are now seeing is, for many years, it was you're going to make money off of football maybe going to make money off men's basketball, and maybe a handful of schools could make money off of, say, baseball and or women's basketball. 
I do now think there are more colleges that can make money off of women's basketball. I do think that is the case. You know, Greg, in closing here, last time we were on, we were talking about how many high school head coaching openings uh, were available out there. One was was Pike. So Jeff Teague's going to be the next head coach at Pike. Is that true? I, I have heard that rumor. I have not seen confirmation on that. Um, if there was going to be a Teague that was going to be the head coach there, thought it might be Sean, um, who is an, has been an assistant coach yeah. there for a, for, a, for a while. So that's just BS that I see everywhere here? Does it not? It, it, it's, it's possible, but I haven't seen that officially named just okay. yet. But, but if, if there is someone, while obviously he knows the game and has a ton of connections and has been involved in scouting, um, I'm not sure that Jeff would want to give up an NBA gig as much as he loves Pike, yeah. to come back and be the head coach at Pike. So is it possible? Absolutely. I have not seen that confirmed yet. Where are we? And I know what Ben Davis did going unbeaten this past season is remarkable, but you know, obviously Ben Davis-Pike, a, a longstanding rivalry and tradition. How, how far are they from kind of getting that reengaged if something like that were to happen at Pike? That would do it. I mean, Pike has been good, not great for several years. Bill, Bill Zick did a great job, got them kind of elevated from where they had fallen off a little bit after those really good Larry Bullington teams. You know, they're producing a Division One kid almost every year. Uh, if not, they're producing multiple D2 NAI kids every year. They've been kind of hovering around 13 to 16 wins most season. So, you know, they've been competitive in the MIC. They've been competitive in the Marion County Tournament. But they really only had won one sectional. You know, that sectional, Pike had a run of dominance when Bill first got there from, say, 2011, about 2015 or 16. Ben Davis has won that sectional every year other than one. The, the, the COVID year in 2020, Pike won that sectional that year when, when Ben Davis was kind of rebuilding. So they're not that far off, but a higher if, again, if it's Jeff, it'd be a massive spark to that program. All right, what you got on tap this week, this weekend? I am uh, heading to New Pal here momentarily for the high school baseball. Perfect day for that. Uh, I got New Pal in Yorktown. I've got Danville and Crawfordsville for high school baseball. Equally beautiful day tomorrow. And then hopefully the rain holds off for Carmel and New Pal softball on Friday night because New Pal softball, they take it seriously. That's like a minor league stadium. That thing is full. I've seen like 1,500 to 2,000 people there to watch a softball game in that building. So hopefully – Weather holds off until this weekend, so I can get a little softball in on Friday night. I was over at Ron Colley last night because Blake was in a track meet and softball and baseball, both going on simultaneously. There are a ton of people over there. And if, if Keegan was pitching for Ron Colley, <laughs> yeah. that game probably took about 65 minutes. They probably won something to nothing, would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be, that's, that's historic, right? Best softball player ever in this state. Uh, one of it, and I and I, I have to think about like Morgan right. Mello immediately comes to mind that played at HSE. I'm sure there are others that would have predated that, and then after that. But again, to legitimately have the number one ranked prospect in both baseball and softball, and to have them be about 15 minutes apart from them on the south side is absolutely crazy. Almost as crazy as a as a UND Greyhound hitting for the cycle. Oh my goodness! In the same game on Friday. <laughs> Has that ever happened anywhere? No, no. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it has like in little league, but not like at a competitive level, even at the Division Two level. What, what amazed me, and and, Queer, and Kevin and Corey did the math on this, or, or Mark Dykin did the math for them, on, on yesterday on the show, 
that there's been like 315 or so no hitters thrown in the history of Major League Baseball. You would assume the cycle would have happened maybe just a, a you know more times than that. Right. Cycles happen like 330 something. It's not that many more. And so for that to happen simultaneously, same game, same player in a seven inning game is utterly ridiculous. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of success. And, and and not that I need to specify or quantify that even more so. John, he hit him in reverse order. He went home run, triple, double, single, <laughs> and in a seven-inning game. So you can say the no-hitter's a bit easier because he only, he only pitched seven innings. But he only, they only came to bat six times. So he literally had four plate appearances and went home run, triple, double. Where, where's the, where's the kid from? He is from Poway, California. He uh-huh. is a grad student and a grad transfer. So I haven't had a chance to talk to Al Reddy yet, um, the head coach down there, uh, kind of about this, like, off the air. But I got Brady's phone number. I won't give it to you on the air, but if you have <laughs> on the show, I'll, yeah. I'll help make that happen, John. Yeah, send it to James here, too. Poway, California, right? That's um, um, not too far from San Diego, I believe, right? Poway? I believe that is the case, correct. I believe that's, you know, because I'm sure the weather, because the weather this week reminds us of San Diego. Yeah. The other 51 weeks, probably not so much. Greg, I appreciate you, man. Have a great week. You got it. And to answer Jim's question on Twitter, in case you haven't been checking, yes, Jim, I am thrilled every time John plays my request on the JMB takeover on B105.7. Buffalo stance. You went back-to-back. The Cherry family got back-to-back with you and Eagle Eye prior to. The the Cherry one-hit wonders are almost (laughs) as crazy as Brady Ware's combo cycle and no-hitter in one game. Almost. They are, no doubt. Thanks, buddy. See you, bud.